Well, we're continuing to work through Isaiah, and um, these passages, I asked you to read Isaiah 50 through 55, which is a chunk, and there's a lot happening there. Again, we're going to kind of step back and take a bird's eye view of, of what's happening here. But what's fascinating to me, uh, well, one of the f- things that's fascinating to me is how very New Testament sounding this is. You know, as a, as a the Church of the Brethren, we say we have no creed but the New Testament. We understandably focus on uh, the life and the story of, of Jesus. Man, this is, this is pointing us to the story of Jesus. And uh, as we're going to look at, this is really a summary of the entire biblical story, the, the biblical narrative, really from the beginning to the end, uh, as we're going to see here in a moment. <clears throat> What we're looking at this morning in chapters 50 to 55 is the conclusion to a grand prophetic poem that really starts in Isaiah 40 and goes through 55. And then uh, 56 through 66 is kind of expanding on some of those themes that are a part of this poem. And what we start to see is the emergence of a servant who faithfully responds to Yahweh who stands in for the people, who kind of becomes the, uh, the representative for the people, and who brings about the restoration of Israel and blessing to the nations. And like I said, we have a summary of the biblical narrative, uh, really one of the best summaries of the biblical narrative from beginning to end in these, in these few chapters. It ties in themes right back to creation on through the true suffering servant and then talks about where God's restoration project is ultimately headed. And so these chapters um, are just a, a great summary of our faith and what God is doing in the life of the world. And so as we look at these chapters, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the words of the prophet that uh, begin to point us to your life, to your death, and to your resurrection. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, our study together, be pleasing to you. Speak through me or despite me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles or you want to grab a Bible uh, from the pew in, in front of you, we are going to be kind of moving through chapters 50 to 55, you know, as, as quickly as I can, um, but touching on some of the major themes and, and the story that is emerging in these chapters. And so I'm going to be referring to some verses, and in case you want to see exactly what's, what's happening, uh, you can be following along there. In chapter 50, we start to see that it's because of Israel's sin that they've ended up in exile. We've talked in the last couple of weeks how um, Israel, some people are putting it forward, maybe God isn't all-powerful, maybe God isn't that good, maybe these other foreign gods are stronger than our God, maybe they're stronger than Yahweh. Uh, But once again, the prophet is affirming, no, it's because of your own waywardness. It's because you haven't followed the way I've asked you to live that you're ending up in the situation that you're in. And so a servant comes to advance the mission of God in restoring Israel and blessing the nations. 
We see a teacher, a prophet, one who comes and speaks, one who hears and responds faithfully to Yahweh's voice. We see that it's one who will be persecuted and ostracized, one who will find their worth in God's evaluation, not in the eyes of everyone else. Um, This kind of happens to a, a number of the faithful servants of God throughout Scripture, where they're being persecuted, where uh, different kings, whether they're kings of Judah or kings of Israel or foreign kings, and they're going after the messengers of God. They're going after the faithful servants. But what uh, the prophet is pointing out here is that this person, this servant, is recognizing that their worth, their value, is on God's evaluation of them, not on what everybody else thinks. That's... That in and of itself is so hard because we want, we want uh, to feel good. We want to feel liked. That's in our nature, I think. But this faithful servant recognizes that what matters is God's evaluation and their faithfulness to what God is calling them to, the servant. We see, too, that Israel is doing its own thing. They're doing things their own way. They're trying to walk in their own light. They're trying to create their own light rather than walking in the light of Yahweh and listening to the servant. But the servant is the one who walks in God's light. Then chapter 51 is a reminder of the story of Scripture. It's not entirely in chronological order. The, the, the poetic prophet is kind of skipping around to different themes throughout Scripture, but, it, but it's all there. Uh, look at f- chapter 51, verse 9. We hear this, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. And so this is, awake, listen up, listen to the story, remember the story. And they ask, was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? This is an interesting uh, reference to the creation story. And what the prophet is doing is tying in Canaanite mythological creatures here. Um, If we go back into the story of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, there's lots of layers of what's happening in the creation story. Of course, the creation of of everything is one of those layers. Uh, Another one of those layers is God putting together His temple. The way everything is structured is God uh, creating the world, creating the universe as His temple. And one of the last things He does is to install His icon, install His image, bearer, uh, in Adam and Eve. But another layer of what's happening is that uh, the, the writer wants to demonstrate how God is overcoming chaos. And so when it talks about the waters of the deep, the waters in ancient, uh, the ancient thinking represented chaos and disorder. And what God does is hovers over that and then speaks into existence dry land. And that is bringing order in the midst of chaos. Other gods in other uh, mythology stories, other creation stories, um, would bring about creation through bloodshed. And it was, it was just nasty business bringing everything into creation. But what the, the um, 
Jewish people, what the Israelite people wanted to affirm about their God is that God reigned over the chaos through simply speaking, without having to shed blood, without having to go through all this this mess, he just simply speaks creation into existence. And so this is a reference to Canaanite mythology, Rahab and this dragon, and a reminder that Yahweh has overcome the powers of chaos. God has spoken order into existence. I know it's very strange to our thinking, but that is a resounding story, especially in the midst of people living in Babylon who have heard all of these other mythology stories, who, who have heard about all kinds of other gods um, spilling blood in order to bring uh, creation into existence. And they're being reminded of the prophet, uh, by the prophet of the strength and the power of God in simply speaking creation into existence. It says, was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep? Again, going back to the creation narrative uh, where God conquers the chaos of the uncreated world. And then who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to cross over? It's a reference back to the Exodus story. So we're going Genesis, we're going Exodus. We're reminded, too, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in uh, chapter 51, verse 2. The prophet says, Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, but I blessed him and made him many. A reminder of their story, a reminder of the blessing, a reminder that Abraham was called and was blessed in order to bless others. Israel is being reminded of its history. It says, For the Lord will comfort Zion, that's Jerusalem. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and a voice of song. Again, Yahweh is speaking of restoration and bringing life into those barren places that his people have experienced in exile. Chapter 51, verse 7 says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people who have my teaching in your hearts. And the prophet is talking about the Torah here. The people who have received the law, the people who have said, I meditate on your word day and night, the people who have said, it is a, a wonderful thing, it is, it is sweeter than honey the people who have studied the Scripture over and over and over again, a reminder of that. It says, do not fear the reproach of others. Don't worry about what others think. And do not be dismayed when they revile you. It's a reminder that every generation faces challenges and hardships. 51 verse 8 reminds us, but my deliverance will be forever and my salvation to all generations. We have to remind one another over and over and over again of the story of Scripture. Bible scholar N.T. Wright says, every generation needs to be reminded 
The story of Scripture is one we keep retelling over and over again. The challenges in each generation may be different, and we need to look back to Scripture and and see how it's speaking to us and, and figure out how to apply it to the challenges that we face in each generation, to discern faithfully how to respond to the challenges. But we keep reminding one another of the story. So in 51.12, we see that Yahweh is there to comfort His people in face of adversity, in the face of the oppressor. But something has happened in 200 years of exile. The people are afraid to act in the face of the oppressor. They've been so used to living in exile that they're not sure what to do when God says, get up, awake, awake, rise up. You are free. I'm bringing about your freedom. Several generations have lived under the thumb of a foreign pagan ruler. And they're not altogether sure how to respond to what Yahweh is doing. So in verse 17, it says, Rouse yourself, rouse yourself. The prophet keeps repeating these words. Awake, awake, rouse yourself, rouse yourself. Get up, listen to what God is doing. It says, stand up, O Jerusalem. The prophet's telling them, get up, stop complaining. You've drunk of exile long enough, and now you will be released. And Yahweh will deal with the oppressor and exercise justice. And then we get the announcement in chapter 52 of the good news being announced. Again, the words repeated, awake, awake. Put on your strength, Zion. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter Zion. Get up and get ready to be done with exile. God is doing something new in your midst. And this time of being removed, this time of exile, this time of barrenness is coming to an end. Look at the restoration Yahweh is accomplishing. And then verse 7, this chorus that swells. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news. Good news. Who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen Your sentinels lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. God has rolled up His sleeves and is ready to get down to business. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This is good news for Israel, that they are returning to Zion. They are returning to to Jerusalem. They're going to have the opportunity to rebuild the temple. They're going to have the opportunity to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And good news for Israel, for, for Judah, is also good news for the people around them. Within the immediate historical context, Cyrus of Persia would be releasing a number of exiled people groups, not just Judah. 
He sends them out. Uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but um, Babylon and Assyria, two empires, and their way of ruling their empire was to take all of the elites, all the, the princes and the princesses and, and the, the educated people, and they would send them all around their empire. And they would remove them from their home. And they would often restrict the worship, whatever their native worship was, they would restrict that. And what they were trying to do is make one Assyrian people or one Babylonian people. And they were trying to enforce their religion and their way of life and their culture. Cyrus of Persia does something a little different. And he basically says, as long as you pay me taxes and as long as you're not revolting against me, you can go home, you can worship in whatever way you want, just keep the money rolling, right? And so he has a, a practice of religious tolerance around his, his empire, and this is how he rules. But what the prophet wants the people to see is that as we are being released, as we have the opportunity to return to Judah, as people will see the temple rebuilt and know that Yahweh is back there, it is good news for us, but it is good news for the, all of these other displaced people. They're going to see God is back, Yahweh is back in Judah, is back in the temple in Jerusalem, and this is good news. That is the immediate context that the prophet is talking about. There's different layers here, and this is pointing to something bigger than that, but that's the immediate context. And so in 52 verse 11, Yahweh wants them to get up and get going. Depart, depart, go out from here. He talks about don't touch anything. He's not, you know, rushing them out, but it's time to get up and get going. Don't worry about all of this other stuff. Let's go home. It's time to be free. It's because then of the work of the suffering servant that they have this opportunity. So 52 verse 13 through 53 really are giving us a snapshot of the suffering servant. The passage describes the role of the suffering servant in advancing the mission of God in restoration. The rest of the section of Isaiah, this poem from 40 to 55, and then the rest of the book of Isaiah are going to be working out what has been made possible not only for Israel, but for all the nations and for the universe through the sacrifice of this suffering servant. Chapter 52 verse 13 talks about the servant being lifted up and exalted. But everyone is taken aback by what has happened to this suffering servant. They see what's happened. And they're kind of aghast at, at what has happened, the, 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 the picture of what they've seen the suffering servant go through. And again, chapter 53 that we heard this morning is often read around Good Friday as we remember what Jesus accomplishes on the cross as we remember the utter rejection of the suffering servant, despised and rejected, a man of suffering, acquainted with infirmity. He was despised and we held him of no account. The servant takes on the sins of the people. 
It says, surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises, by him standing in the place, we are healed. And the truth that the prophet wants us to hear, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. We've all done our own thing, tried to make ends meet on our own. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity, the the sin, the brokenness, everything that's not right. God has placed onto this suffering servant who is standing in for the people. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. We see images of the sacrificial lamb enter in. In fact, John the Baptist in the New Testament wants to make this analogy explicit. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Gospel of John is where the sacrificial lamb imagery really takes center stage as Jesus dies as the Passover lamb. John wants us to wants uh, the reader to understand that Jesus is this lamb. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. The timeline of uh, his, his, his Holy Week sets that up to make it very clear to us. The servant is put to death, we're told, cut off from the land of the living. Laid in a tomb of the rich. And again, John's version of the gospel highlights that the tomb Jesus is laid in is borrowed from someone of some financial means. And yet somehow, even here, this isn't really the end of the suffering servant. It's a little vague, but the work of the suffering servant doesn't just end at the death. There's something more. Now, whether the the prophet could have said resurrection, I'm not sure. But he's pointing to to something continuing from this, this servant. Even after they've been killed, there is something happening. There's there's something at work here. Later in the New Testament, we're going to be able to name that as resurrection. Then chapter 54, this is about the restoration of the people of God. Yahweh telling His people to get ready for expansion. He talks about uh, expanding their tents. They're going to need bigger tents to house everybody who is going to be blessed because of what has happened here. Because of what Yahweh is doing, we got to make a bigger tent. we got to expand things. 54 verse 7 then, for a brief moment I abandoned you, let, let folks go into exile, but with great compassion I will gather you in. It says, in overflowing wrath, for a moment I hid my face from you. Because of, because of the way that you had wandered, I allowed the consequences of your sin to happen. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. So look at that, for a moment I hid my face of what you were doing for a moment but my love is everlasting I will have compassion on you says Yahweh your Redeemer 
The people of God are reminded of the tough places they've been through, but Yahweh is redeeming them and bringing them up out of exile. And then 54, verse 17, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, says Yahweh. In chapter 55, then, very New Testament sounding. Okay. It says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Jesus says something very similar to that. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. We're seeing the nations begin to be blessed and come to Yahweh, and then because of the faithful response of the people of God. So seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to Yahweh that he may have mercy on them and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. In the next uh, couple weeks when I get back and we kind of start to hit on this conclusion uh, of Isaiah, we're going to see the response of what Isaiah calls the wicked and, and the, the faithful, righteous servants. Okay, See how that gets played out. This is about the restoration of the people of God, which is good news for the nations. And the nations are starting to see and respond and be blessed by Yahweh. Then chapters 56 through 66 are going to build on and expand that vision and reveal more about the nature of the kingdom of God. So let me kind of back up for a moment here. Who is this suffering servant? <clears throat> Different times people have asked exactly who is this person? Could be Isaiah, could be another prophet in a couple places. Some have suggested that in part it might refer to Jeremiah who suffers as a, a faithful prophet. At times, some of these passages seem to be Israel itself who is a servant and suffering. But other times, the servant is clearly standing in the place of the people as a whole. Something I, I found fascinating this week was um, listening to something N.T. Wright says. He says something about uh, of the history of interpreting who the suffering servant is. And he says that no one between Isaiah, when this passage is written, and Jesus looks at these words and says, that has happened in its entirety. In fact, later rabbis recognize that the second temple, when, the, when Ezra and Nehemiah return and they rebuild the temple, they do as good a job as they can. But always there's this recognition that something's missing. Something of God's glory is, is missing in that new temple. <clears throat> and so they recognize that something is unfulfilled about Isaiah's prophecy. Until Jesus. And the disciples... The writers of the Gospels, Paul, the New Testament church, the people who are steeped in reading their Hebrew Bible 
and pouring over these words of Isaiah and have just experienced the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus are reading with new eyes and hearing these passages with new ears. And they're saying, you know what? We've just seen this. We've just experienced this. We've seen the suffering servant who takes on the sins of the world, who has been faithful to what Yahweh has called him to, has been obedient, has, has suffered, has died, has bled, has, has borne our iniquities. We've seen this. This is good news. And they start announcing it to everybody, everywhere. They were announcing that in Jesus, something specific and special had happened. The true suffering servant has stepped in, not just for Israel, but for everyone everywhere to take on the sins of the world. To die in the place of sinful humanity. To bear the weight of the punishment that was reckoned to others, that was supposed to be assigned to others, the faithful servant has stepped in. And through the sacrifice of the one true servant, the faithful suffering servant, restoration is made possible. All people are invited into the blessing of Israel's God. Redemption and restoration are open to all. This isn't just an Old Testament Isaiah thing. This isn't just a story that ends up being about Israel leaving and going back to Judah and and Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. This is a story that carries over and has incredible significance for you and me. That the faithful servant has come. And the punishment that was ours, he has taken on. This is good news. That we have an opportunity to be restored in relationship to God the Father. What we see then in Isaiah is an expanding invitation to join in the mission of God in building the kingdom of God. And this story continues to reverberate for us. An invitation. An invitation for all of us to respond in faithful obedience to what Yahweh has called us to. The conclusion to this prophetic poem is beautiful as the people respond to what God is doing. It says, for you shall go out in joy. You're leaving exile. Go out in joy. 
and be led back in peace. That's back home. This is a chance to go home, to be back in the place for, where I long for you to be, where we have close, intimate relationship with one another. You shall go out to enjoy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. All creation will celebrate the return of the king. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Instead of these places of pain and suffering, new life. And it shall be to Yahweh for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Friends, this good news is an opportunity for us to celebrate to celebrate what Jesus has done, to celebrate the revealing of the true suffering servant, to celebrate that Yahweh loves us and opens his arms and invites us all to participate in the kingdom. We are going to respond by singing these words of Scripture. It can be found in the blue hymnal, number 427, or on the screen. This is a, I'll just say, this is a song that we often sang at, at camp, all right, because you're out in creation and you can imagine the trees clapping their hands and, and the mountains singing. Um, but let's celebrate. This is, this is an opportunity. This is a, this is a song of, of celebration, of the faithful responding to what God is doing in the life of the world. Would you stand as we sing?